Welcome everyone to a new episode of Stadium Cast. I am Lundberger, but you can call me Amanda. And you might know me as Anatoquist. You may call me Martine. You know, uh, Martine, I have a question for you. What do you think about Bastiodon? I love it. It's <laughs> so bulky and it's it's just dominance, right? When you have it in the right position, it's just safe. It, you feel like someone is hugging you. Just, you know, everything is going to be all right. And I remember when in San Diego, Caleb brought his Bastiodon into Gucci Gang's Alola Nigels and the crowd went wild. That's just how Bastiodon can feel sometimes. Yeah, it was the same when we saw him at the EUIC and he was doing just his little, like, they couldn't pick the top 10 uh, in the meta. And so, of course, he was running Bastiodon there as well. <laughs> I would have done the same. So, I mean, I have to say, like, love it or hate it, you have an opinion on Bastiodon. 100% agree, yeah. Uh, Amanda, shall we introduce our next guest? Yes, let's get right into it. Well, welcome in everyone now to the first, uh, now that we can officially announce it, Stadium Cast Podcast. We have officially joined the Ghost Stadium crew, and so you can actually go to the website and you can subscribe to the podcast there or anywhere that you would already subscribe to a podcast. Now, Martin, I think everyone already knows who the guest is, but if they didn't before, they definitely will now because... We were discussing earlier uh, about the controversial Pokemon Bastiodon, and you said that you actually really like it. It's true. Um, I actually uh, announced in my Discord that uh, I had a surprise guest, that we had a surprise guest on. And then, uh, as I said that in the welcome channel, our guest arrived, and it was no longer a surprise for me. <laughs> Let's give a warm welcome to fellow Bastiodon lover, Caleb Peng. Welcoming Caleb. How are you doing today? Thank you, thank you. It's great to be here, and congratulations to you two as well on the podcast for teaming up with uh, Go Stadium on their Stadium Cast too. I've I used to listen to their podcast back in the day too when it was uh, Jr. and AJ Pilot. So real throwback if you even know who AJ is. But uh, yeah, it's awesome to be here and be one of your first guests. So I listened to the other. I think you all had two prior to this, right? Am I am I correct? Yep, actually, we've had two live ones, and then we actually have a secret guest uh, that we're putting on because Martine is going to the U.S. She's going to Hartford to compete. So we're just kind of backlogging some as well so people can still enjoy the podcast every Friday, even when we're kind of on break. Okay, awesome. Nice. Well, uh, I'll see you. I'll see you at Hartford as well, too. I'll be there, too. So. Ooh, ooh. Okay, so this is actually a nice segue because you're competing in Hartford, right, Caleb? Yes. Because I know that you are a man who loves to make bets. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I was wondering, if you were to make a bet with Martine about who would place higher in Hartford, what <laughs> would be the stakes of this bet? I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I like to make bets. Let me clarify. I like to make bets that I'm pretty confident I'm going to win. That's one I'm not very confident in winning. So, you know, Martine's a little better than Speediest Chief, I would say, oh. <laughs> in, in PvP. So, you know, whenever I make a bet with Speediest Chief, I'm feeling pretty good going into it. Uh. Uh, I don't know. I I mean I I be I'd be open to it. I'd be open to it. But we'll have to we'll have to talk negotiations on the terms well, for sure. Here's the thing. Spear Chief still had a beard to shave off. I don't have a lot of hair, you know? So <laughs> I, I can't do that at least. <laughs> yeah. Um we'll see by then. Since you're competing there, yeah, I'm I'm actually uh reconsidering my team i cannot lose to uh fellow bastion i might have to think of something <laughs> myself because i think the the strategy that you kind of applied in san diego is something i mm -hmm. did as well at the uic basically scaring off uh noctal right that's mm -hmm. the, I, i'm guessing yep. that's mostly what you did with bastion and uh reggie Steel. 
Yeah, and I, I think um, going into it, I thought there would be more frost slots than there were. Uh, mm -hmm. I, my opponent in the grand finals did have a frost slot, but that was pretty much the only one I faced. I had a Sableye. I mean, Trevenant's not bad against frost, especially Shields up, and then Registeel and Bastion. But uh, I didn't really see as much frost slots. Uh, so it, you know, I didn't end up using Bastion as much as I thought I would. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was much better in the Wolverine Trevenant meta as a bit, but um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was still fun to use and. Uh, if I'm going to talk to talk, I gotta walk the walk, right? I can remember and against the Gucci gang. It was pretty fun. <laughs> yes, yeah. Never heard so many people cheer for a Bastion <laughs> in my life, but it was a good time. So do you think you are going to bring it to Hartford as well? Or are you thinking now, mm, I'm going to mix it up and I'll probably bring something else? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that I won't spoil it for people, but you should just come ready for a Bastion, right? I know Arrow ran like a five times week to Bastion team in <laughs> uh, Charlotte. I was like, Dude, I was like, I would have loved to face that team. He's like, no one runs Bastion, though. I was like, I mean... Yeah, it's a, that's a double fair, ice that's and fire, example. right? Yeah, double ice fire. Yeah. He had Lickitung as well, which also gets walled off by Bastion. It was, uh, it would have been a good time for Bastion, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a question for you, Caleb. What was the turning point when you realized, wow, Bastion was actually pretty cool? Yeah, so I... So I used to play, I played PvP since it launched, mm -hmm. essentially. And the first time I ever made a Bastion was for Kingdom Cup and Sylph, season one, April. And I remember I was like pretty stingy with my rare candy. So I was trying to walk it and like feed it in gyms as much as possible before I evolved it and use it. And I remember I built this Bastion like the night before my tournament. I like did like maybe one set of scrims with it. Um, but I remember specific, I have some old footage I still have saved against one of my now teammates. Back then we weren't teammates, we were just like local rivals. And it was me and my friend Chaotic Ace. It would just be, it would, I wouldn't even call him a friend back then because I just like hated that I lost him. <laughs> so if we're in a tournament in Atlanta, uh, Georgia, which was where I was uh, living before, it, any tournament for the most part, it was either I win or he wins. And every time I didn't win, my loss every single time was only to him, no matter where it was. It was round two, grand finals, like whatever, like at any point in time. And he was winning most of them too. I only won like a few, like maybe two or three. Um, and I remember specifically, I had never beaten him in like show six, like an official show six self tournament before that. I beat him in some draft thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we faced round one because the weird way Sylph was like in this weird system and initially where they were paired the top ranked players against each other in round one. And I remember that. Stuff like that. Yeah. So it was like a gauntlet because right off the bat, you're facing the best player, right? Mm -hmm. Um, if you were also ranked really high. So we faced off round one. And I remember he, it was a Steelix with Earthquake versus my Bastion. And he, I had one shield and he had two shields. And he ended up double baiting me with Crunch. And I didn't shield either one of them against Bastion. And Bastion somehow beat a Steelix running Earthquake uh, down a shield. And I was like, wait, this thing is broken. And he had an Altar in the back, so he couldn't <laughs> do anything after that. And so I won my first uh, tournament using it in Kingdom Cup. And then I, you know, for the most part, I didn't really use too much Bastion. Um, and then it wasn't until GBL came around. I think it was season one of GBL. It was uh, it was right after I ran Skarmory Double Grass. A lot of people started countering me because uh, they knew I was running Skarmory Double Grass at a certain point. So I decided to run a Bassidon, uh Shadow Bonnet, and a Meganium line. And I was doing like a lot of work with that. Shadow Bonnet's just pretty trash these days because all the XL Pokemon. But mm -hmm. uh, it was fun to use at the time. I was able to climb the leaderboard a bit with it. And that was pretty much it. I mean, after that, I started using Bastion in... Uh, all the team formats too. There's like Arkansas PvP and then the Go Stadium, Go Team Up PvP stuff. Uh, the team formats. I was. Uh, they were usually team draft tournaments, so you could only have one Pokemon on each side. 
of uh, the squads, and no one wanted Bastion on my team, so I was like, I'll pick Bastion. Like, it's this freebie. Like, it's like the best seal type, right? Um, and so I just kept running Bastion in all those tournaments. And then when XLs dropped, I was like, well, I read somewhere. I think King said it somewhere on Twitter. I was like, oh, it has a much shot bulk point against Swamper. I was like, okay. I was like, okay, maybe this is this is something, right? Like, and I, I'm surprised I beat a decent amount of Swampers because of that with Bastion. But I started just using it. And then it kind of became almost like a meme at a certain point. And so I just kept furthering the meme, I guess. Um, I think my biggest thing is I'm never a big Bastion with like Shadow Race Relief or Shadow Charm user. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I know some people definitely are out there. I think Walwer was definitely the one really pushing it back in the day with the DD, Shadow yeah. Vic, and Bastion. And so I'm always trying to push the other narrative of you don't have to use fast move pressure only uh, to succeed with it. But it is, um, it is a, a tough hill to fight on because a lot of people <laughs> tend to use the fast move pressure teams. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I like it a lot. It's, it's a great way to kind of absorb damage and mm -hmm. save yourself shields, essentially. Um, and... Yeah, I would say my biggest pet peeve, and I don't say this on the official commentary when I commentate, uh, is watching a Bastion user f like play really poorly. Because <laughs> I think the stereotype is Bastion <laughs> users only know how to tap, and they're terrible at the game outside of that. Uh -huh. And I think some of that is probably true, but um, it's it's always frustrating when I see someone make like very obvious misplays on commentary, and they're using Bastion teams. I'm like, <laughs> uh, you're not repping it well, but that's okay. Um, you know, it's it's definitely different to play on stage for sure. I think my favorite Bastion play of yours recently was when you sort of uh, BM'd Speedy and you threw the flame charge, but it was just completely undercharged. Uh -huh. What is your thought overall? And I know you probably discussed this a little bit before, but uh, what is your thought on BMing in general? Because I, I was going to do it to Zionic when we were playing on stage. I was going to uh, BM him and throw the sludge bomb yeah. from the Venusaur onto his Melmetal. But yeah, I mean, we're not like super close friends with other, <laughs> and i didn't know exactly how he would take it especially because like we we just met that weekend yeah i, I don't know uh, what did your take overall would you like do it to anyone or i mean would you only do it to like a good friend and yeah i mean this question is for martine as well for sure yeah i, I don't i don't i don't actually recall if martine actually has bm'd on stream or not but um i personally haven't on like and san diego i didn't i did it against speedy because of course I have the rub in his face. Uh, I think there is definitely, like, for me personally, I think there's definitely a familiarity aspect to it, right? Like, I'm not going to BM someone, like, round one of a tournament that's, like, not even streamed, right? Like, it's just, like, why why rub it in any further? But, you know, some people will. That's that's fine, too. It's kind of some, like, psychological warfare, I would say. I, I do remember your battle versus Ionic, and I remember thinking, I was like, wait, you overcharge past the Frenzy Plan against a Melmetal, like... Are you going for the BM? But then uh, you, you end up throwing the frenzy plan there too. I think Zionic would have been fine about it, but I do get what you're saying. Like, I think if you don't have the relationship with someone, like me personally, I I don't do it too often. GBL, I'll do it sometimes just for fun. Um, but I remember. Okay, so speaking of Gucci Gang, because I brought Bastion against Gucci Gang in day two of San Diego, and I really thought about BMing his Metacham in the end there. But like, we were on comms with each other, and he's like, "Oh, I, I bet it's, it's probably the Bastion back." I was like, "Yeah, it is." And he just like looked so like sad at yeah. that point, and I was just like, ah, "I don't want to, I don't want to do that to him, right?" Like, even though I'm friends with Gucci Gang, I was like, that was like a moment where I was just like, uh, "I'll just hold back the BM." Um, I probably would have in the grand final against Ramberto, but I just had nowhere to go with Bastion there. Uh, so me personally, I don't really care. I think it's more so. Um, it's like it's, it's showmanship, right? It's entertaining, but you got to execute it well, too, right? I think one of the biggest times where there was a lot of backlash was like, I think Brown Baller in Toronto was doing it, and some people on yeah. Twitter were debating about it. 
I personally didn't care about that, but um, I think it was just a little weird. He was just like last resorting a Sableye, but didn't even knock it out. So he had to like throw another foul play or snarl down. Just like like the flair and the the finesse is not as clean as like when Marco does, right? Marco BM'd at Worlds, and everyone loved that, right? I think it's about it's about just showmanship, right? And uh, for me personally, uh, I don't personally mind it too, but um, those are my own parameters of when I do it versus when I don't. Yeah, I. I kind of feel the same way. Uh, I don't like to BM someone I don't know that well. I think my first mm -hmm. opponent at Stuttgart, Loki BV, had a really good team comp against him, Azumarill beating five out of six. And mm -hmm. I think at the very end of day of game two, uh, I, I almost power jammed his Galarian <laughs> Stunfisk. I just couldn't do it. I, I was like, I already have such a good dominant team comp. You know, I don't have to push it uh, like that. It's a little bit too much. But if, if I'm playing mm -hmm. a friend, I, I actually expect them to BM me uh, when, when possible as well. That like, like, that's kind of a mm -hmm. must at, at, at some point, right? Um, yeah, yeah. You're almost disappointed when they don't. I'm like, this is your exactly. chance, right? Like, yeah. Are you <laughs> like, my friend? I'm doing it to you. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think um, Ramberto BM'd me at, uh, at San Diego in the grand final. So he threw like a last resort at my trap there or something. So <laughs> he was like apologizing for it. I was like, what are you apologize for? Like, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I have another question regarding... That will be my final question about Basil on Caleb. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And fine. this might be okay. uh, a, a difficult one, maybe a controversial one. Mm -hmm. Who is the better Bastion player? You or Jason? Oh, I gotta say it's me. I mean, I think Jason's Jason's no joke in GBL, right? Like I I I definitely don't have the GBL like history or records to show for it. Like I, I never even hit number one. I hit number two like long long time ago. Dude, me too. Like, oh my <laughs> Yeah, some people act like it's like the easiest thing in the world. Like, oh, number one again. I'm like, again? Uh, one of my teammates, CFH, he's always in the number one. I, I My teammates are DFH and Auburn. They're always, like, mm -hmm. number one for them. It's like, yeah. no problem at this point. Uh, yeah, I never hit number one uh, like Jason has. But um, I'd say I, I, I use Bastion a lot in show six, too. And so I think um, I think I have the record there. I think overall Bastion usage, I'd say I'm still... A little further ahead than him but he's uh he's definitely pretty closer too i would love to see him compete again i think the only time he could be was at naic last yeah, year and he did go he did make quite a far run i think mish beat him or something in um in a finals or, or semi-finals i think um and yeah. then he just didn't make top cut off of that but um i would love to see jason run that too he does run some kind of cheese comps like he runs some really weird like aba steals and stuff like all the time uh, personally, that's really not my style, but he makes he makes it look good, so um, I can't really hate him on that. Uh, guys, speaking of GBL leaderboards, uh, I don't want to brag, but I made like two hundred and thirtieth. So, <laughs> yeah. hey, that's all. That's no joke. Yeah, I think leaderboard is is no easy feat, too. You know, I know if you're on Twitter, it looks like everyone's making leaderboard, but there's there's only a very small minority of people that do that. It's true. Did Did you take a screenshot mm -hmm. as well? Like most people put a screenshot on their uh, on on their uh, stream, right? Yeah, yeah, you got to man if you haven't taken the screenshot yet. That's I use it for thumbnails all the time in my YouTube. Videos. <laughs> Guido feels yeah. attacked. Yeah, Guido, I'm I'm especially pointing at you. <laughs> so speaking of YouTube, I mean, because you kind of made a shift, right? Like you actually have a lot of eggs in the Pokemon basket. Uh -huh. You are doing content creating, you have a Patreon, so I assume you're doing like a lot of coaching as well. And now you're starting to do a lot of casting. Yeah. How do you divide the time and like not to play favorites with any of them, but 
But if you had to give them all up for one of them, uh, what would you choose? Yeah, I mean, I think the commentary is definitely something, at least at the, this moment in time, like something I'm very passionate about and doing. Um, you know, I would have never said this probably like two years ago or so, or maybe even uh, a little over a year ago. Uh, I used to always be the kind of person like, oh, I want to be like, I want to be the world champ or I want to like make it to the finals or whatever of Sylph or uh, these grassroots tournaments or whatever like that before the official tournament circuit came out. Uh, when I was invited to commentate, I was just said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Like, I didn't know what I was really signing myself up for. Um, but when I started, I, and I did some grassroots commentary before that, but uh, it was never really my passion area. But ever since doing this for the past, uh, pretty much past year, uh, it's really opened my eyes to a lot of opportunities in terms of how to kind of expand the game and grow the game. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. You know, it's like, especially if you're like commentating with someone you're familiar with or you're friends with, or even you developed a relationship, it's like almost like watching a sports game with your buddy and you're just like on the couch, like talking about how great the game is. And, you know, initially, if you watch my EUIC from last year, like it's it's so awkward. I'm like not even looking at the camera. Like I'm, I'm talking really weird and stuff. And I was with Speedy too. And he, he was great off the start. Um, but I definitely had a lot of room to grow. But, you know, over the year too, I've really come to enjoy that aspect of the game. Because I think, you know, me as a player, like, even if I do well, even if I, like, win worlds or place really well at worlds, like, it's it doesn't do as much for the game. And uh, I think it's just exciting to, you know, bring in new players from from these tournaments. Either, you know, they watch it and they want to play as well or just inspire people to come back in the game or really enjoy the game. Um, and so that's really been my focus lately. And to divide my attention, I, like, I always pay a lot of attention to my Patreon, for sure, because uh, that's really how I uh, they support my living and day-to-day -day stuff um so those those people always come first as well um youtube it's kind of sporadic youtube and twitch is kind of sporadic these days unfortunately um i'm definitely not like a daily uploader like you know yonkis or you know home henry or zionic stuff like that like that's it takes a lot of work like you know like to make all that content uh regardless of what you think of their content if you love it or hate it like it's it's no joke to do like daily uploads or five plus uploads a week uh, i just don't have the time unfortunately for that um but that's okay. I think uh, I'd rather focus on the commentary stuff because, you know, these tournaments are so much fun. And um, it doesn't matter where the tournaments are, too, right? Like, I, I think I've, I probably mentioned this to some people at EUIC as well, but um, I'm on the West Coast in LA. So mm -hmm. usually when you all have, like, a regional in Europe, it, like, goes live at around, like, 1 a.m. my time. And I'm, like, around midnight, I'm like, man, like, it's about a start. I might as well just tune in, right? And so I'll just watch. And then the, the worst is when there's, like, an East Coast tournament in the u.s right so like orlando or something i remember orlando um <laughs> and bokum was like at the same weekend right and i remember i think i like i stayed up watching bokum and then like and then when it was like wrapping up like almost 5 a.m 6 a.m my time it's like oh we're going live in orlando in like 30 minutes i'm like oh dude i was like i might as well just see some of this i'll just like pass out like watching like the top a in orlando or something but i'll see like all of like the european regionals because i'm still awake and stuff for that um so it's it's fun though like I, every time i'm like i was like this is gonna be a fun time but then once i tune in i'm like oh this is great too um i think the human catcher bug one too that that one i like i didn't like sleep a second that night <laughs> i was just like stayed up for the. i was like this guy's really running a shadow charizard the whole way through um but uh yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was crazy the, yeah it was incredible to see and you know back then like shadow charizard was like like nowhere to be seen right um yeah even 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 mark even your run in uh sukar too i was i was commentating 
at Toronto, but I remember I waking up early and like getting dressed and watching you all play mm-hmm. because you're running Dunsparce and Shadow Sable. And back then, like no one did that. I jump so. <laughs> A jump off, yeah, I don't even remember the jump off part because the other two were super spicy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember I was like in the shower with my phone like on the soap bar, <laughs> thing, like like watching it and stuff too. Um, but no, it's been a, it's been a great time too, and I'm I'm really happy that uh, TPCI has brought us in, and you know, kind of, I I feel like we're all at like a weird lull at the at the point in time at PP. Like I, I think you probably remember Martin because you were at the first UIC, like right before UIC. Like everyone's like, eh, we don't know what this is really about. But then, um, but then once you go, you're like, wait, this is like, there's something to this, right? And it just kind of built from there. Um, I think it really like revitalized, uh, if not the game, at least PvP for a lot of people. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the when we all went to the first UIC, we were all a little bit skeptical about how uh, you mm-hmm. know the game was in that state, and yeah. once it actually happened and the stream got up and the stream looked really good and you know you all you all look so dressed up and commentating that <laughs> fancy um it it gave a really new perspective to it and you know mm-hmm. i think that's really uh how do i say that it really drives competitive play up right um mm-hmm. so yeah I'm, I'm i'm a big fan i think it was a big turning point in competitive uh pokemon go and um mm-hmm. yeah that that actually leads up to uh, what i want to ask uh, you after uh, how do you see how do you see these tournaments grow over the over the over the next term over the next season basically because i think in europe we currently see a huge growth right but mm-hmm. in na it's not growing as much just yet right i think we have hartford around 160 right now you mm-hmm. think naic will hit 256 as well I hope so. I mean, like, EU's definitely putting in the work, right? Not only EU, but uh, LATAM as well, right? Their mm-hmm. tournaments are huge as well, too. Yeah, so. um, I, I almost feel like part of it is, like, NA spoiled because we we have so many regionals, so people are less motivated to go to, like, you know, because if you have less to go to, you there's less chance to qualify, so more people can show up, right? And it's just, like, like less chance to meet up with everyone. Like, I think the first year um, of the Play Pokemon series, like, there are more people at, like, that NA tournaments too, possibly because there were just less back then too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think there definitely there definitely could be a little bit more drive, especially in the NA region. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just really trying to get other people into the game as much as possible. The, the tough part is always when Niantic like does things like the remote raid nerf and stuff like that, where like it drives like just people away from the game in general, not not specifically PvP. Um, so losing just general player base is always a little tough. Um, but you know, that's why like TPCI and stuff and like a lot of people in production, we're always trying to figure out ways to get people more involved in stuff. And, you know, accessibility is always a tricky part because it is like, if you try to play TCG or VGC, like you could have a team ready in like a week, right? If you really want to, or TCG, you could just buy the cars or you could buy like the winning deck that someone else had and, you know, run the same thing. You just have to learn the game. Uh, Pokemon goes definitely more of a grind. Uh, one of our co-casters, Frosted Caribou, she does casting her tcg she tried playing in a pokemon go tournament and she did i don't know how many metacham mega metacham race she did but she has like 9999 energy like cap like constantly because she was doing every like metacham raid to get her <laughs> metacham up uh enough xls right to run in a tournament because it's, it's just the best fighter like why why wouldn't she run it um, but it's so expensive, right? As the best fighter sure. in that spot. Um, so that is definitely something I wish, you know, hopefully down the road, Pokemon Go finds a way around. Because I think increasing the accessibility makes it a lot better. Um, I was at Seattle Go Fest and we I was helping out with some of the PvP area. And we'd have like kids come up and like you just 
battle and stuff for like you know rewards and stuff mm-hmm. and they're and we're helping them build teams like oh what can i make with this i was like dude you have like a 900 cp on brown you're like level 14 like it's like i was like i don't know i was like go like go catch some wiggly tails and come back with like a like you know like just run like double charm or something i'm brown double charm if you can right but like it's like so tough because they don't have the resources or even like the elite tms right off the bat mm-hmm. um so that's definitely something i would i would love to see change down the road somehow um, I think during Worlds, there was some glimmer of that because they would have these like temporary research codes where if you catch certain things, you could choose a different path and you might get a Frillish or like a like Drapion, stuff like that, like different PvP-related Pokemon as rewards, which I thought was a really cool idea. I would love to see them highlight that even more. Um, something I would love to see, I don't know if it's possible, but I'd love to see like um, like some setup where... Like Twitch Rivals was like a couple years ago, but when I did it, they would give us brand new accounts, all level 40, but you have like a thousand rare candies, like a million dust, all these TMs, elite TMs, and you have like an hour to catch Pokemon and come back and build a team with it, right? And that was really cool because everyone just starts on a clean slate and you just build Pokemon that you could catch and just Mm -hmm. make on the spot. Um, I don't know how they would implement that into Pokemon Go, like especially if you're not running new accounts and i know they hate like multi-accounting but that would be something cool because then it's like everyone's on a similar playing field right it's always tough when you go to tournament and you're like well this guy's got an 1100 b joe there's no way they're winning this matchup like you know right off the bat right there's nothing they can do um in all likelihood anyone bringing that like probably doesn't have the strategic mindset anyway but there's just really no chance on top of that um but yeah i would love to see some ways for them to bring new players in for that purpose um and then maybe even just hosting like different live events around the tournaments that'd be really cool too but uh we definitely need some partnership in co- cooperation with niantic to make all that happen which that might be the hardest part i would say i think you bring up a really good point and then also alongside that it's just like a lot of pvp players that i know are not good grinders like they're only really playing pvp like if you take um maximilian p yeah he was playing in one of the tournaments and he was playing a sableye but it wasn't even powered up all the way. He was desperately oh, trying to trade people Sableyes the day before and like deleting stuff. Trying yeah. to, and he ended up losing a match because he, he got sparked down by a lantern before he could reach a crunch on the Sableye. And I just kept thinking during that match, like, oh, if he only had that last power up, maybe he would have been able to survive. But yeah, it's hard because I mean, like Sableye is probably like just as inaccessible as Medicham, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty rare. It's only around during Halloween and not really in like raids or anything like that. Speaking of changes as well, we had like a brief talk about this in London, but you have a different opinion on championship points or like whether first place person should get an automatic qualification if we do end up using some sort of championship point system. Yeah, it's it's tough. So I think there has to be some type of balance to it. Like, you know, TCG, I've, I've heard stories, or I know for a fact that there was, there was one player, she won like two regionals, maybe back-to-back regionals, and they had like 900 to over 1,000 people at them. And she didn't qualify for Worlds for TCG after winning both of those, which is just wild to me, right? Like, that's like, yeah, that's imagine, insane. Yeah, like, I, like, that should be automatic invite for the first one, let alone the second one. Um, so I think there should be some balance if they do bring championship points. And it seems like they're doing something related to that as they're testing it for NAIC coming up um that's just for travel bonuses but um i think i think yeah i actually think championship points is definitely one way to incentivize more people to go to regionals because you know some people are just like oh i qualified for this i'm done right but instead if you don't auto qualify it could be a great way to you know have a way 
uh, to get more players to regionals. And also, like, some players that perform really well consistently that don't win first or second, like, it just always feels bad when you, you're like, man, they just miss out on Worlds, literally. But even though they're making top cut every single time or most of the times, right? And we see a lot of that, too, in a lot of these uh, different regions. Um, so I think there should be a balance. Uh, I, I think, like, maybe there might be a threshold. I don't know. Like, if it's, like, a 12-person tournament, right? Like, it feels really weird to have someone go to Worlds just because they won that. Like, it's possible the competition's high, but... At the end of the day, even if everyone's good that you're facing, like you're still going to face less players, right? Against 12 mm-hmm. people. Um, so I personally think like some balance, right? Like I think if, especially like at IC, right? NAIC or EUIC, if you win that, like you should go to Worlds, right? Like that's that's no easy. Like we saw EUIC, like even the side event was stacked, right? Like let alone the actual tournament. So I think Six there should players. be, yeah, 60 players. Yeah, it's it's wild. So I heard stories about how stacked that was. Um, but yeah, I think there should be definitely some type of balance. At the end of the day, like, we just want good competition at Worlds. Like, it, it, you know, even if you sneak through through winning a small tournament and qualify, like, you're probably not going to have a great time at Worlds anyway because it's just, it's, everyone's going to be pretty good unless you improve quite a bit before then. Um, so I think some type of balance there is important. Um, I do think that, I, I think at the end of the day, championship points is for the better to qualify for Worlds because, again, like, getting first and second, like, they're, it, yes, it's it's impressive to do, but it also takes a lot of... It definitely takes a good chunk of luck as well. And so much could go wrong, right? Like, some of the best players you see, like, haven't made top two yet. And you're like, why haven't they made it? But there's just like, I don't know, they get a debuff here or, like, you know, just like a bad line read there and they're just out of it, right? Especially double elimination. Like, you lose one game on... You lose one set on the first day. Like, you can't lose anything the entire rest of the way. Like, it's really tough. Yeah, no, I definitely agree that uh, mm-hmm. there, there's like a balance between, you know, I, I would like to see personally, personally, I would like to see like day one, you have a Swiss mm-hmm. and then for day two, you have like a top cut, right? Yeah. I think also for stream purpose, that might just be the best. Um, the Swiss, I think, is great, right? Everyone gets to play. You, like you mm-hmm. don't go 0-2 and, uh, you know, it's, uh, well, tough luck. Uh, that was your tournament. Yeah. Um. But, you know, for stream purpose, it might be a little bit difficult. For judging purpose, it might be a little bit difficult, right? Because if you if you have one dispute, it might delay the whole tour- the, the rest of that <laughs> round. So I think it's a little bit difficult. Uh, I, I do think there's a lot of possibilities, though, there. So I, I'm guessing yeah. there's kind of that balance. And like you say, like it, it kind of hurts to see someone like Wadaj or Trent get so far every time. You know how good mm-hmm. they are. Um, yeah. But- Onion Frank, too, right? He's made top cut a lot, too. And <clears throat> mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I can't get it. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree with you too. I think the that's what they do for VGC and TCG right now. I think they just do Swiss for day one and then some bracket for day two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Swiss is just nice too because we've seen so many tournament runs where someone drops like round one and they'll like go and like win the rest of it and you know make top cut or whatever uh, at like some self tournament. So I think that could definitely be good. Uh, an interesting part is for uh, the Asian qualifiers, that's actually what they do. They do a Swiss round on the first day and then they take a top 16 double elimination yeah. on a on a different day too um and they can actually change their teams between swiss and the top 16 which is kind of interesting it's um, interesting yeah yeah so uh, i i don't know if we'll go towards that model or not i think all the asia qualifiers they're actually run by i don't think they're run by tbc i think they're run by tbc yeah TPC. um so so it's a so the format and everything's different for for many reasons but that might be as an organizer perspective that might be why but i'm sure they they talk in you know, bounce ideas between each other too. Yeah, speaking of formats, I mean, you've had the opportunity to cast basically like all over the world. You casted the LAIC, the OCIC, UIC, mm-hmm. and you've casted like a ton of yeah North American regionals as well. 
have you noticed a difference in like play style and I mean, I know that there's obviously like a lot of different picks in the different regions. Yeah. Oceania seem to be just as spicy as Europe in a, a lot of ways as well. But we don't get to see as many players play around the world the same way that you do. Have you seen any patterns or trends that you think like are emerging? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like any is kind of boring, you know, like any goes very safe with the meta. Um, I mean, you all can probably see it from I don't I don't really like you can see it from our regionals and stuff too. Like Europe definitely goes like a step ahead of the meta a little bit. Um, Latin is interesting too. I think they're also similar in that respect. Uh, you know, going a little bit different, right? They're they're definitely focused on the meta, but they build around like with spicier picks too. Um, and then Australia is kind of a tough one because I think uh, it was such a small tournament, so it's hard to say like exactly how the rest of the tournament, like how the actual community builds around. Maybe they take ideas, or maybe they also go a little outside. It seemed like they were borrowing definitely some ideas from EU based on what I saw. Um, but I think the thing that actually really stuck out to me is really the community feel of the different locations. Um, again, Australia was like a small tournament, so it's hard to comment on that one. But NA, like everyone's just kind of doing their own thing, right? Like, yeah, you have some factions and stuff, like teammates supporting each other. Uh, but it was really like Latam and EU where I see like a lot of like like country pride as well and like community support, which is really cool, right? The crowds at EU and Latam were like something very, very different, right? You know, you could see like you could visibly hear like who's like rooting for who and stuff. And it just makes it super exciting. It's like actually like being at a sporting event, right? Or like a very big esports event. Like Latam especially too. I think we were also super close to the crowd. Like we could just hear them like screaming and cheering after everything. And at first I thought they were cheering for TCG, but then I realized, no, it was actually for Go, right? Every time you have like a sack swap, you hear like, mm -hmm. you know, everyone like cheering and stuff there too. So um, the community feel is definitely something else. I don't know part of it is because you're in a region where there's people from different countries, you know, culminating together in an area. Whereas... And NA is just like almost everyone's from, you know, United States, maybe some from Mexico, maybe some from Canada, but there's not really a lot of like country or like community pride there. Um, yeah. But that in itself makes it really, really fun to commentate to. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, slamming NA a lot here, but I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> NA got to step up their game. <laughs> hey, you, you said it, not us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They can quote me on that. <laughs> no, but that is so true because when we were at EUIC and we were casting out in the lounge, not, you know, not behind the booth, it was so crazy because, I mean, you could hear everyone and everything. And whenever we were making some sort of comment, you could hear the crowd's response and like the, the big shouts and everything. When the, I mean, it, it was really unique, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know if I liked it that much, actually, because it was just so loud and it was just like sort of hard to hear sometimes when we were in the lounge. <laughs> yeah. But that experience overall was like really cool. I mean, especially in the finals at the end between uh, Tonton and Nezabethan. Yeah, I mean, you can even see it, right? There was like a crowd shot when Tonton was doing his kind of like a uh, winner speech and you can see all um, his community there too and cheering him on. It was, it was, yeah, it was really great to see too. And and we saw a lot in LASC as well. LASC was weird because like everyone in Topka was from Brazil. So it was a little, it was a little different, but, um, but it was still cool to see the community. So um, again, something I would love to see more of for sure from NA and maybe other regions as well, but that, that in itself makes the game really fun, right? Cause it's Pokemon Go PP. It is a very solo game, right? But uh, to know that you have your community support and stuff because no no one really gets there without the help of other people, right? You have screen partners, you have people that helped you throughout the years, maybe even just people you're catching during community day with and just keeping you company is always a huge thing too. Fair, fair. Um, shall we ask our final question here, Amanda? 
Yes, but before we ask the final question, I just have to make one small point because I was talking with my friend at lunch today. Caleb and I very much disagree on whether Pedro Pascal is good looking or not. So I don't know if there's many females in the chat or anyone who can really back me up here, but I think that Pedro Pascal is very good looking. And Caleb's take is... Alright, so look, I think um, I think it's because, like, I think the act he's not a bad looking guy, but I think if he wasn't a famous actor, he wasn't in movies or TV shows, like, he's just some random dude in, like, a Midwest gas station, you would not be like, that's, he's an attractive man, right? It's like, I absolutely personality. <laughs> I don't know, I mean, we're gonna have to travel to Midwest together and you point out some guys, but I think, like, you know, he's, it's his persona on screen and his character that really, like, resonates with people. I think if he was just, he was just some random guy that, was just working at a gas station and stuff, and you saw him, like, you wouldn't be like, wow, we should hire him, and he should be a model or an actor. Um, I think how people carry themselves changes a lot of how people see. I could definitely see the allure to it, but I think, objectively speaking, I don't know. I think he's he's okay. He's we, mid. We have Hamill. Yeah, the, the chat seems to be agreeing with me, Caleb. Just have to at least say that. <laughs> it must be the Mandalorian thing. Yeah, it could be Mandalorian, Game of Thrones, like Last of Us. Like he plays a lot of great characters, but uh, I don't know. I, someone said the same thing about Justin Bieber at one point in time, and I was just mm. like, "But if you pull up his like mugshot, like he just looks like some random dude." <laughs> like, <laughs> but, yeah. Okay, now we can ask the last question for real. Actually, uh, Martin, do you, do you want to uh, close this out? Sure, sure. So, uh, Caleb, the final question that I have for you. Um, yeah. We we had a concept before this, which was. Uh, crap rolls and champions. Um, mm-hmm. And what our question is here: Who do you, uh, who would you classify as a crap roller? Someone who is not well known in the community, but is a really strong PvP or maybe an, uh, an upcoming uh, name. And who would you qual- uh, classify as a champion? Someone already well known and someone who, uh, you know, who you, who you would think could win like potentially worlds. Yeah. Uh, for crab brawler, I probably say uh, Hamad Munir. Um, he's a he's a captain of Body Slam, which is a NA Emerald mm-hmm. tier team, uh, and they already qualified for Worlds, so they won one of their cycles. So um, definitely, definitely a very strong team. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's actually based in Pakistan, though. If not, and and someone told me also he's like a twin of sad munir or brothers of sad munir which is yeah. also wild uh because he's on pogos too but um also a great team but yeah uh hamada uh, he's pretty good i don't know how many of you would know him especially on twitch but he's he's pretty strong especially in sylph i haven't seen him in any play pokemon stuff but part of that might just be not a lot of regionals in his area uh but yeah he's good um i i play factions weekly uh and competitive with my team and i faced him twice and I, he thrilled me both times which is not a great feeling and it doesn't happen super often for me at least um, but uh, as a context too, he plays like a bunch of different like tier, uh, different like fields. So he's not even just playing Ultra League like me. Um, but he's the only person to beat me this entire cycle too in a in a best of three. So um, and I knew going into it, I was like I had to sweep him to win it for our team. I was like, dude, this is like the last person I need to. I wanted to have to sweep, and then uh, the complete opposite happened. So it was not a great time. Uh, but he's really good. I, I would love to see him compete somewhere um, if he's able to at a at a regional or international. Um, in sh- you know, in the play Pokemon stuff, but especially in Sylph and Factions, he's he's a monster. And definitely something someone that I think deserves recognition. Um, as in terms of um, a champion, man, this is a tough one too, because there's so many good players. Like I feel like if you told me yeah, who to predict, uh who I would predict to win worlds, like 
I get. I, I feel like it might be someone that no one even expects, right? It's kind of like Tauntaun as well, winning EUIC, right? Like, like so many good players out there. Like, it's really anyone could win this, right? Mm-hmm. Depending on how they're performing and stuff, and how much prep they're going into it. Even with, even in the midst of so many big names, um, I would say, of of the players I've seen a lot, um, I I would say like the the one the players that imp- still impress me the most to this day, uh, based on like all the stuff I've watched, um, is Crescent Angels, uh, a player from Japan, really really talented. The problem is like we don't see a lot of their gameplay and footage, uh, but he's like consistently still on the top of the leaderboards in GPL as well. And uh, his when he was playing like is at Worlds in in London last year, it was just like incredible like the stuff he was, he was just like like he was just catching stuff like that like it just made no sense right the timing and stuff and consistently right not really like he just randomly got lucky like it's it's you can see the skill difference between him and someone else at worlds and like it's wild because at worlds like everyone's really good but you could visibly see a skill difference um and he was just like unfazed right i think a lot of the asian players were like that they'll make the craziest catch and they'll like they won't even flinch right and i'm just like like do they even know what happened right um but yeah, always a player I, I highly respect too. So some someone that I would love to see back at Worlds. But again, like I think part of it is also like we don't know a lot about a lot of the Asian players because a lot of the tournaments aren't broadcast and stuff. Um, so it's always exciting to see like you know how they're going to play too. And I, I remember uh, especially a lot of them being very good at Worlds last year too. So definitely someone that I would definitely look out for again this year. Yeah, I mean, I thought he was going to win Worlds last year for sure. Mm-hmm. So I mean, don't get me wrong. Rob played great, well, yeah. but yeah, like Chris and Angel just played insane. He was actually my pick uh, at UIC for like the um, the power ranking for the best player from Asia. So yeah, I, so I can back you up there, Caleb. I think that's a pretty solid pick. Same as well, yeah, yeah. So it's a the whole. I mean, I'm either way. I'm just excited to see uh, whoever's going to be at Worlds because the competition this year is looking good. I feel like also across the board, everyone's just getting better at the game, right? That's why people always say like, "Oh, it's like it's so hard to hit legend." I was like. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's not easy these days. Like everyone's good. Everyone knows how to optimize or notes or counts and all the stuff. Those YouTubers, like... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those dirty YouTubers giving all these secrets away. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, I think that's all we got for you. Uh, just real quick before you go, like, why don't you just take some time to plug some of the stuff that you're doing? We appreciate you taking time to do our podcast as we're kind of getting kicked off, but I know that you're also doing a podcast of your own. You, yeah. can, be, you can be found many places online. Yeah, sure. Yeah, to transition from that. I, yeah, I run a podcast with Speedish Chief 2. Some of you might know him. You know, you see his handsome face around or shaved face from time to time. But we host a uh, <laughs> podcast called the Battle Cats Podcast. Cats with a Z in there instead of an S. Um, and... Yeah, I, I try to tune into all the PP podcasts, so I'm always very excited to see uh, like you, you all's podcasts right come up as well too. It's always great. I mean, there's just so much like I just have too much time on my hands. I guess like I'm in the shower, I'm just listening to podcasts and stuff. So it's good to hear other ones. Um, but yeah, we talk about PP as well. And um, outside the podcast stuff, you can find me on most of my socials at Caleb Payne. So YouTube.com/slash Caleb Payne, Twitch, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, TikTok is Caleb Ping one because someone stole Caleb Ping, and I've been trying to get it back, but it's been a struggle. It's been a struggle, yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's that's about it for me. And you could definitely find me on uh, official play Pokemon streams as well. I'll be at Portland commentating this upcoming weekend, so uh, hope, hope to see some people there from EU, especially. Yeah, very cool. Thank you for your time, Caleb. Um, yeah, so that was uh, today's <laughs> episode chat. Um, we will be uploading episodes regularly uh, on a Friday from 
this week on uh, and hopefully you'll be able to catch some of these episodes as well all right thank you everyone and see you in the next episode all right thank you for having me on appreciate it thank you see you guys